0: God had an abundant supply of water ready to be discovered and distributed just a few miles down the road. Notice that no one died between where they started complaining and where God started providing. So they were not at death's door. They were just impatient and tired of waiting. And so they tried to hijack the schedule. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted to turn God into a Pepsi machine. When we push the button... God, you better give us what we want. That's what it means to test God. It is to demand that he dance when we play the tune. That's paganism. That's not faith, and that's not allowed. Old Testament or new.
1: Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. There is no such thing as an untried faith. We've talked about that a few times over the course of this series, and we're going to be talking about it again today. God had an abundant supply just a few miles down the road, but waiting and believing that when you are tired and thirsty and agitated is a significant test of faith. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word
0: is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 17. This is another testing story. I've said this a couple times now. There is no such thing as an untried faith. God doesn't just save. He tests, he tries, he stretches, and he sanctifies. Thanks be to God. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Now, we'll just pause here for a quick geographical note. Thus far, Israel has been traveling south along the east coast of the Red Sea. The Sinai Peninsula is shaped roughly like Florida in the United States of America. So if you imagine the Israelites traveling south along the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, you get the general idea. But now they begin to strike inland toward Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, to continue our Florida comparison, is roughly in the same place as Lake Okeechobee. That is to say that it is near the bottom in terms of the north-south axis and in the middle in terms of the east-west axis. Just shy of Mount Sinai, there was an oasis called Rephidim, which was usually a reliable source of water. But here we are told that for some reason it was dry. Perhaps there had been less than the usual supply of rain. Regardless of the reason, once again, the people are very disappointed. When you expect relief and you don't get it, that can be very destabilizing as here. Now this oasis is only about a day's walk from Sinai, so they are near the end of this stage of the journey. But as we see here, God has one more test for them before they arrive. So the people are thirsty and disappointed and angry. We pick up the story at verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, "'Give us water to drink.' And Moses said to them, "'Why do you quarrel with me?' And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa, and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, remember, I told you that this story takes place in Rephidim, which is very close to Mount Sinai. So the situation seems to be that God is stretching them by bringing them to a place where they expected to find water, but did not. He was trying to see if they could wait He was trying to see if they could press through a little difficulty. Faith is pretty easy when breakfast arrives on time every day. Faith is pretty easy when your belly is full and your mind is at ease, but it's a little harder when you have something legitimate to worry about. It's another thing entirely when you are running on fumes, and that is what is going on here. Nahum Sarna says here, it is one thing to be able to affirm that when Israel saw the wondrous power which the Lord had wielded against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, they had faith in the Lord and his servant Moses, quoting there from Exodus 14:31. It is quite another matter to know whether that faith was powerful enough and disinterested enough to be sustained also in times of adversity and misfortune, closed quote. Well, as we see pretty clearly in this story, they did not do very well with this particular test. They get cranky and demanding and even a little violent. Moses is worried that they're going to stone him. This reveals the essential infancy of their faith. Their endurance at this point is pretty much nil. So, God sees that and begins to develop that. Look at how God responds to the situation. He doesn't say to the people, open your mouths where you stand and I will give you rain to drink. No, that would be to reward their lack of endurance. Instead, he says to Moses, you and the leaders, get out front and go. Keep walking. Stretch it out. Finish this lap. And so they do. They walk a little further and they come to a rock. The Bible says at Horeb. Horeb is another name for Sinai. So we assume here that this rock at Horeb is some kind of rocky crag or recognizable formation in the foothills of Sinai. And there Moses is told to strike the rock. We assume that the pillar of cloud settled over a particular rock and Moses hits it with the staff and out comes a river of water in the desert. J. Alec Machir calls this anticipatory providence, meaning that God had been preparing this river for millennia. It was there, just waiting for them to arrive. It had been carving out a channel under the sand and rock until it was just below the surface, waiting for an 80-year-old man to give the ground a tap. Machir says here, None of this is said in order to deny or evade the miraculous in Scripture. Of course, the Creator can do what He pleases in His own world, Psalm 115, verse 3, for example, and it would indeed speak volumes of His love and power were we to think of Him intervening there and then at each of these points of need to make a special arrangement to sustain His pilgrims. And had he done that, it would have violated neither his own nature nor the creatorial order. But it speaks of love, care, and power at an even deeper level if we imagine the creator God saying to himself as he made the world, my people will one day pass this way in desperate need of water. So in anticipation of that day, I will provide an underground supply and mark it with a great rock so that it can't be missed. The ordering of creation and the providence of the Creator await and meet the arising needs of the redeemed on their pilgrimage. Our needs have already been anticipated in His foreseeing, far-seeing grace, which is ever on our side. closed quote. That's the lesson here. The lesson is that God has planned the supply long before we encounter the need, and therefore we can trust him. That's the point. And of course, the ultimate fulfillment of that point is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The apostle makes that point very clearly from this passage in 1 Corinthians 10, to 4 The apostle Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. So Christ was there in the Old Testament providing desperately needed life and refreshment for weary travelers prepared in advance by a God who can be trusted by a God who knows our need and is sympathetic to our weakness and this same Christ is available to us in our need today. Paul makes that point here and we would be wrong not to make it here as well. We serve a God who knows our limitations If that was true in the Old Testament, how much more is it true in the New Testament? Jesus took on flesh. He knows about thirsty, right? He knows about tired. He spent some time in the desert. He gets human frailty. So you can be sure that God knows where to put the water. He knows where to hide the supply so you can trust him. Just put one foot in front
1: of the other and trust him. That's the point here. Hey, Pastor Paul, let me jump in here because this feels very much like it was written for our present situation. I mean, this is the COVID challenge. This is how all of us are feeling right now. Earlier in the program audio, you said when you expect relief and you don't get it, that can be very destabilizing. That's exactly how a lot of us have been feeling We expected this whole thing to be over a long time ago. I expected this to be over in three weeks. (laughs) Okay, Exactly, but it's not is it? It's almost been two years now and it is not over and I think a lot of us are feeling destabilized by that. We're kind of cranky, we get agitated and like the people you were talking about in this episode, some of us want to drag our leaders outside the camp and stone them. Not me personally, but I'm just saying (laughs) it feels like something you wrote especially for this moment we are going through now, but it isn't, is it? This episode in Exodus was released in 2019, wasn't it? Yeah, March 16th, 2019, to be exact. And the point is that the Bible anticipates
0: every sort of situation we will ever experience in life. So there's nothing prophetic about that. It's, it's just entirely predictable. In every life, there will be times when we feel like we are at the absolute limit of of our physical and spiritual endurance. And we may believe in those moments that we are therefore entitled to break the rules or to begin to grumble or even to lose faith. But the truth is that God knows our limits better than we do. And he always puts the water in exactly the right place. The Bible says, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So God engineers these tests, not to kill us but to try us. He wants to grow us, stretch us, and prepare us for all that lies ahead.
1: Yes. Amen. Well, that's really cool, and I wanted to break in there and explore that a little bit further with you. Let's jump back into the story now, just a little bit before verse 8. Now, we probably need to
0: spend a minute thinking about what it means to test the Lord. The Lord certainly tests us. We've seen that already time and time again. But what does it mean for us to test God? Apparently, that's a bad thing. Verse 7 says that Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, of course, there's a type of testing that is allowed in the Bible. In Malachi 3.10, for example, God says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Close quote. So stepping out in faith in response to something God has commanded us to do is a good sort of test. But this story in Exodus 17 is obviously a bad sort of test. So how do we tell the difference? What is bad testing? Douglas Stewart is helpful here. He says that What is impermissible is the sort of testing of God that is really an attempt to get something out of him earlier or in greater quantity or the like than would otherwise happen, close quote. That seems to be exactly what's happening in this story. God had an abundant supply of water ready to be discovered and distributed just a few miles down the road. Notice that no one died between where they started complaining and where God started providing. So they were not at death's door. They were just impatient and tired of waiting. And so they tried to hijack the schedule. They wanted to be in charge. They wanted to turn God into a Pepsi machine. When we push the button, God, you better give us what we want. That's what it means to test God. It is to demand that he dance when we play the tune. That's paganism. That's not faith. And that's not allowed. Old Testament or new. Verse eight, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now let's just pause here. I've mentioned a few times that Rephidim is very close to Mount Sinai. Obviously, Rephidim is in the neighborhood, as it were, because they were there in verse one, And then they walk a little further to the foothills of Horeb, or Sinai, in verse 6. And yet here in verse 8, it can still be said that this battle took place at Rephidim. So obviously these places are all in the same general location. Now when this story is remembered in Deuteronomy 25, we are told that the Amalekites struck at the stragglers, the old, the weak, and the slow. So we can imagine a stretched out camp with its nose in the foothills of Horeb, and its hindquarters in the outskirts of Rephidim. That's where this part of the story happens. Which means, by the way, that great things and awful things were happening at exactly the same time. As the front of this group was drinking from a miraculous river, the back of this group was getting slaughtered by a tribe of marauding bandits. Sometimes the good and the bad prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So the fact that there was some time to prepare for this battle suggests that maybe there was an initial skirmish wherein the Amalekites chopped off the far rear of this moving camp and then set up a a defensive position. That gave Joshua some time to recruit and gather some men and for Moses to take up his position on the hill. That seems to be the best way of making sense of the phrasing in the text. As for the battle itself, the basic idea is that as long as Moses had his staff in the air Israel prevailed, but whenever his arms grew tired and the staff fell towards the ground, Amalek prevailed. So Aaron and Hur came alongside and held up the arms of Moses. That's the story. But what does it mean? Obviously, it means at the very least that the battle is the Lord's. Israel was not stronger or better equipped or better prepared. Israel's only advantage was the Lord. That's the point. Now, how does that apply to us? And we're supposed to ask that question because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, after referring to this story, said, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. So we're supposed to learn and apply here. So what would that look like? R. Alan Cole interprets the symbolism of the staff of Moses and the tides of battle in this way. He says in this case, to lower the hands, would be to cease to pray and thus to cease to depend on God for help. I think that's right. I think that's fairly obvious. The instruction here would seem to be that we must not rely on our own strength and resources. We need to look to the Lord. We need to wrestle in prayer. As soon as we stop praying, we start losing because the battle belongs To the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verse 14 Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So here, God commands that this story be written down. Again, the Apostle Paul talked about this being written down in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He says, for our instruction, we are to learn from these recorded stories. They are to be preserved. Through them, God is speaking to his covenant community. He is saying that those who oppose the people of God will be severely judged. And he is saying that he is the one who fights for us, and he is the one who
1: provides for us. Thanks be to God. Pastor Paul, I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago in the program audio. You said, quote, "...great things and awful things were happening at the exact same time. As the front of this group was drinking from a miraculous river, the back of this group was getting slaughtered by a tribe of marauding bandits." Sometimes the good and the bad go together. Do you think that when we look back on this story, our COVID-19 desert marathon, that we will say the same thing, that great things and awful things were happening at the same time? Yeah, I do think that. I think
0: there are a lot of great things happening right now in the church. I was on a panel a few weeks ago with a group of pastors from across the country, literally across the country. We had a pastor from Vancouver and a pastor from Newfoundland and several points in between. And they were saying that COVID has functioned as a massive sift in the church. It has shaken and sifted out people who maybe needed to be sifted out. And it has returned us to the center and core of our life and ministry. All of a sudden, simple is good again. All the pastors on that panel were saying that their churches were healthier, stronger, and more focused on the things at the core now than
1: they had been 22 months ago. Mm, So that's the good stuff, the great stuff. But there is some awful stuff going on too, isn't there?
0: Yeah, there is. I I think it's fair to say that the devil has been nipping away at our hindquarters over the last 22 months. I sat in on a presentation for pastors with Ed Stetzer, who said that if you were to take the the 100 average evangelicals in America before this pandemic, one-third of them, so 33, grew in Christ over the course of this pandemic and became more connected in their faith, more connected to their church. One third, so again, that's that's another 33, are still there, but he said they're really in trouble. And then the last third have disappeared altogether. They were blown away by the pressures of this pandemic. Wow, that, that's a huge percentage. Yeah. Those are people, like in this story, who were straggling a little bit, and the devil came and Ambushed them. He dragged them off into the woods or into the internet, more likely, and we may never see them again. So, yeah, just like in this story, great things and awful things are happening simultaneously.
1: Which reminds me of the note you ended on the need for constant intercessory prayer.
0: Yeah, I really do think that's the need of the hour. This pandemic has awakened us to the fact that we live in a dangerous world. So, we need to be firmly rooted in the unchanging Word of God. And we need to be diligently praying for one another and for our leaders.
1: Yeah, I love that imagery of Aaron and her holding up the arms of Moses.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what we need right now. So if you go to a church, and I hope you do, if you go to a church, I am officially recruiting you right now to pray earnestly and regularly for your leaders because it is a battle out there. And if we didn't know that 22 months ago,
1: We definitely know it now. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, as always, friends, if you are looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at IntoTheWord.ca, or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. We've got a brand new series releasing right now on the Book of Ezra, and you can find that on the website or through the Into the Word app. And don't forget to tune in to Life 100.3 next Sunday morning for the next chapter in our journey together through the book of Exodus. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet